Hello, Liturgy Guide listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. But first, a quick reminder about our Young Adult Liturgy Conference coming up in June. Registration will be ending soon, so if you want to go, please register soon. You can learn more about the conference and register at betransfigured.com. We still have group rates available, so if you want to bring 10 or more people, you can give Karen a call at 847-837-4542. This is just a study weekend at the Liturgical Institute, so you can understand what it's like to actually take classes with Dennis and Chris. It's going to be a really fun weekend with sung mass and sung prayer. And also, we have a summer degree program. So if you are interested in a Master's of Arts in Liturgy degree, you can come over the course of five summers, six weeks each summer, and hang out with all the rest of our summer students and other people that enjoy the liturgy just as much and earn your Master's of Arts in Liturgy. So if you want to learn more about our summer degree program, we are still accepting applications for this summer. You can go to liturgicalinstitute.org and search our summer program. Finally, this week we are talking about Catholic action. Uh, You get two podcasts this week because we forgot to upload one last week. So this week we're talking about Catholic action, again, just like last week's social justice episode. This is not something I knew uh, even really existed or was a big theory. So without further ado, episode 37 of season two of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. All right, so... Catholic action. So that's what I want to talk about. You know anything about this? Either of you? Okay, so... Yeah, yeah, I, I well, think Chris I do. does, probably. I don't. Jesse, you know anything about this? Does it have anything to do with, like, uh, active participation or anything well, like that? kind of, sort yeah. Of. But it's not so much action within the liturgy as much as action in the world that is charged up by the Yeah, it's the kind of active participation in the mystery of Christ in the world. So this would be, like, post-mass... Uh, you're doing Catholic action better because you went to Mass? I think there's a lot you're, of it. You're yeah. fulfilling that final blessing mm. to go and preach the gospel. Mm. But it's much earlier than the council documents. They usually think it's late 19th century or early 20th century. You know, a lot of these traditionally Catholic nations, like Mexico and Germany and other places, had these anti-Catholic laws since priests were forbidden and worship was forbidden. And then when it came sort of around and they woke up again, they, they saw the damage that had been done to the church and how it had been fractured from society. So they came up with these notions that Catholics had to know their faith and go out and do it. It's kind of like what we're doing now. We have a kind of Catholic action movement going on, even though we don't really call it that. Yeah, so is this, a, is this a concept? Is it a movement? Is it a... It's a movement. Yes. It's usually associated with this bishop. Is in, it bigger than a bread box? In, uh, <laughs> In near Brussels, his name was Joseph Cardin, C-A-R-D-I-J-N. Oh, just, and like, it's, just hmm. like it's spelled. He was a bit Pope Francis-y. <laughs> you know, he um, was really trying to minister to the working classes, and he worked with the labor unions and started this young Christian workers movement. But then there are other things that fall under the heading of Catholic action, a number of different groups. Uh, St. Gianna was a member of a Catholic that's action right. in Italy. Um, Pier Giorgio Frassati was also Ooh, active. that's my boy. In Catholic action. 
And so the point of this was that Catholics couldn't just sit on their laurels, whatever those are, and <laughs> wait for the world to become Catholic. Right? I know what laurels are. What are laurels? Laurels are, um, it is a wreath of leaves that you would, you would um, earn from, you know, these athletic competitions in the Roman days. And so if you were to rest on your laurels, that's the phrase, oh. it would mean that it would mean that you would just be satisfied with the things that you've earned and that you wouldn't have the drive to continue. And so resting on your laurels is like that idea of like um, you're just complacent with what where you are. How about that? All Laure- right. Laurels for Jesse there. Yeah, you, you see I'm going to put a laurel right on your oh, head right thanks. now. But you see those on, on uh, uh, coat of arms and, you know, those types yeah, of things. Yeah, right, symbol of victory. But yeah. if you're resting on your victory, then you're not doing it. Well, that's right. pretty good. Well, the guy in America was really... Um, promoting this Catholic action was a sort of mysterious figure named William Boyd. I've been trying to figure out who he is, but he's a little hard to find. It's B-O-Y-D, William Boyd. But he um, was busy in the 30s and 40s at the... 1930s and 40s? 1930s I feel like we got to clarify that. Yep. <laughs> it's almost the 30s and 40s again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, he gave a talk at the National Liturgical Week in 1941, which is a whole week of lectures and stuff. on. Does that on still liturgy. exist? I don't think it does. There are a lot of conferences that are kind Let's of... Let's start it. Similar, <laughs> similar to that, but uh, the, act, the week itself I don't think exists. But he gave a talk called Liturgy and Catholic Action. So pretty straightforward. He tries to explain it. And he says there's a lot of confusion out there about Catholic action, but he summarizes it by taking a quote from Pius XI. And I want to see what you think of this, or what you think, you know, sort of the average person in the pew might think of this. He says, Catholic action is the participation of the laity in the apostolate of the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Boom. Mm -hmm. Discuss. Uh, So right off the bat, I would think some might interpret that as... um, you, you should get up there in the sacristy, not in sacristy, on the, on the altar and be participating in a way that the priest participates. So um, being uh, lectors and altar servers and extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, so on and so forth, kind of akin to what people thought active participation was. Hmm. So now, is he saying active, that's what it is, that's, right? That's that, how you define it. Okay. And we'll talk about what that means, but... If most people, if you tell people, hey, is that like, right? What, is that where you're trying to get at? No, but someone might think that it's not act participation in the liturgical action of the hierarchy. It's in the apostolate of the hierarchy, which would mean what? <clears throat> Apostles, right, are the ones, who are, the are, ones sent who are sent to spread the mission of Christ throughout the world. So who is to spread? Who is to spread the mission of Christ throughout the world? It, the, the bishops can't do it. I mean, they, their job is ad intra, right? It's within the church. Well, not priests. according to that, though. Well, the apostolate, Ooh. it's according to the laity's uh, role. So they, they go through these words one at a time. But as you, as you noted, apostolate is ascending, and it's a mission. But he calls it a mission to save my soul. I think he's a layman, but a mission hmm. to save my soul by means of a positive action for the saving of the souls of others and bringing the Christian spirit to society. So there's playing off the group, the collective, and the individual, right? I save my own soul by leading other people to uh, Christ and bringing this Christian spirit to that's, society. That's the, whole, that's the root of all vocations, too, because you know people, people say you know marriage is... The, you know, the goal is to get each other to heaven, and, and it is, but the primacy, the, the primal role of, let's say, the vocation of, of marriage is to exemplify to the people surrounding your marriage that um, they can see Christ through your vocation. And that's precisely how you are saved as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is individual, but through the collective. What are you going to say, Chris? You look well, pregnant with ideas. Mm-hmm. You look pregnant, Chris, <laughs> with ideas. <laughs> let, let me give birth to them. Okay. <laughs> the uh, the thing that, that 
that I notice in that definition, and maybe you're going to work your way towards this. Oh, I will. So should I leave no, it for ahead. now? Okay. I, hey, I want to see so the baby. What, what's the... <laughs> Could be an ugly baby. Yeah, well, it's your. What's the? Yeah, I know. What's the definition again? Catholic action is the participation of the laity in the apostolate of the hierarchy. Yeah. See, I think that's what makes Catholic action then different from the role of the laity in the universal call to holiness today, is that Catholic action then was seen as some sort of grant or permission from the hierarchy to the laity to let them, let me, let the laity share in what the hierarchy was supposed to do. And I don't think we look at it that way yeah, anymore. No, it's probably a nuancing because Catholic action in this case is a lay movement, right? So priests have to do things in their parishes and their dioceses and the sacraments. They do things that priests do. Now, the priest can go out and help the poor. There's nothing wrong with that. But primarily, their job is not to be a doctor or a lawyer or a sanitation worker, right? Their job is to be a priest, to work in and through the church. So bishops too. So Christ sends the bishops out to be governing and sanctifying, right? And uh, what's the other one? Governing, sanctifying, and... Uh, Preaching, educating, proclaiming. Educating. So the, uh, that's their job. They can't go sweep the streets. And they can't be holy doctors because they're not doctors. So the laity have this share in that same mission that Christ gives to the apostles, but in their realm, which is in the secular world. So there were some, what they call the worker priest movements at this time, where priests would go work in a coal mine and they'd be side mm. by side with a coal miner. And as much as the people might've liked that, and as much as the priests may have liked being with their people, it's, they don't have to be a priest to work in a coal mine, right? So the idea was priests work in the church, laity work in the world. Together they work together to make the church holier and the world holier. It's just kind of a head and members thing. You have a look on your oh, face. Oh, I just, I think this, the, the thing that trips me up about the definition is the, the hierarchical aspect of this and trying to understand where that plays well, into Well, maybe, maybe that's it. What is, uh, are, when you first hear the word hierarchy, what do you think? I think the church hierarchy. Rich people think, on the top <laughs> oppressing the little people at well, the bottom. You think priests or deacons mm -hmm. or bishops. Right, that's but, what I think. But the, what is... At its most basic level, what does hierarchy mean? It's an order of priests, right? Yeah, Including it's us, hieratic. That, see, and I think if we read that word that way, a hierarchy is principally an ordering of priestly beings. So those aren't simply, it's kind of a derivative meaning just to speak of it, of the ordained or of, of the clergy, because that makes that definition sound like the laity's job is to participate in what uh, the priest is doing. But what the laity's job is supposed to do is participate in what Christ is doing. And, they're, and the hierarchy to the degree that they are involved. Because, we're, because we have the, the, the uh, call to be priests, prophets, and kings, so we have our own priestly mm -hmm. hierarchy to be involved with. Well, right. And you know, we think of hierarchy, we tend to think a bit upside down. Hierarchy, we, we think, oh, the important people are at the top, and the little people give the top everything. But actually, the reason hierarchy was even developed in the Middle Ages in particular was to, we could say, how does the stuff of God get to the people at the so bottom? So it's like the opposite of a pyramid scheme. I love it. Well, yeah. Instead of saying, how does the foot, how does the heart support the foot? How does the foot get blood? It's because the heart is helping the foot, even though the foot is subject to the heart. Or take on campus here. You have the administration building. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're the ministers of the campus. Administer, minister too. Yeah, yeah see, like and so that. the administration building is at the service of what all of the institutes and the classroom learning is. And it's, it's, we don't have institutes and students so that the people in the administration building can be served. This is, I think, yeah. the, the introverted Think part. of your org chart in any corporation, right? The CEO does certain things, and the, the people in the janitor, they do certain things, and everybody in between does certain things, and the CEO can't 
be emptying the trash cans. I mean, he could, but it's not really a good use of his time. The proper arrangement. boss. Hire, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, saying that, number the third aspect he mentions of um, the characteristics are that the Catholic action is subordinate to the hierarchy. Does that sound bad? Yeah. Again, you're going to need to explain that to me. It's, it's <laughs> subordinate, right? It's a body part under the head, right? The head organizes it, and it's it's beneath the head in a, in a sense. But that doesn't mean that it's unimportant. It's so. sub or it's a lower order. But maybe I've rolled this one out for Fagerberg always used to say hierarchy is an H I G H E R key. It's it's hieratic. It's priestly. So it's not a, a, a subordinate in terms of worth or value or call to holiness. But see, we see everything through the lens of like corrupt 18th century uh, nobility, you know, eating caviar while the poor people don't have bread. Think of it more like a family, right? Your Can kid, you pass you, the caviar, Jesse? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't have any bread. Um, <laughs> like, you know, you're not going to let Agnes and Ike run the house, right? They're not ready for it. You yeah. have to be they the They try, head though. So they're subordinate to you, right, in the, in the hierarchy of things. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you hate them and you abuse them and you take food out of their mouths. In fact, it's the other way around. You love them and you put food in their mouths. Mm-hmm. And so the regular old people like me, in the, in, not in the hierarchy of the church, or at least not in the ordained hierarchy of the church, are served by the church and we have reciprocal responsibilities. But if you're talking about the job of the lady, it always has to be governed by the people that Christ put in charge, which are the, the apostles and their successors who are the bishops. So it's an apostolate and it's lay, lay people going out doing things together, sharing the mission that Christ gave to the apostles and their successors. And he says it's organized, it's systematic. And the purpose is to restore all things in Christ. So not just restore the liturgy. That's all, that phrase sounds music. familiar. <laughs> well, yeah, all things means factories. It means the soldiers. It means kids. It means, you know, everything that happens out there. Where, have you, where have you heard that before, Chelsea? That's the, uh, the motto for the liturgical institute, instaurare ad omnia in Christo. Yeah. But where, who, before that, did Dennis oh, make that that up? was a Pope Pius the something-ith. Tenth, <laughs> Good job. exactly. Yeah, I knew, that, that was his. Uh, I knew that motto. it was a th at the end. So give me that. <laughs> yeah, that's Pius X's papal motto to restore all things in Christ. Right, exactly. And so, if you have instaurate, that that's means the imperative. go restore. Yeah. So that's we put on. We put the that command. on a graduation cake every year. Instaurate omnia in Christo instead oh, of really? instaurare. It's the so, imperative instead of the you know. So we tell our graduates oh, go yeah. out and restore all things in Christ. Mm-hmm. Isn't that clever? Yeah. Jesse's a genius who thought of that. No, I did not. I just learned about it a couple of years ago, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what William Boyd is saying here, and I think it all still applies to us, right, is that the field of the layperson is not really the governance of the church. It's the world, right? You're a doctor, a nurse. You go and make nursing holy. You make your office holy. You make your home holy. You make your car ride to work holy. By Stay n- in your lane. Basically. Stay in your lane. Don't give bad gestures to people cut you off. You know, things like that. And so the lawyers, the Catholic lawyers make the profession of law more holy, but they get nourished through the priestly action of the priests and the bishops and the hierarchy. So they work together, but they're different. Pius XII says that the laity are on the front lines of Christian life. There you go, right? The general has to guide the army, but the people in the army are on the front lines. So, yeah, but they're also the ones that die first, so I don't know how I feel about that. Well, yeah, that, that is kind of how it goes. It's part of the job description. But how does, this, how does this work its way into, say, the documents of Vatican II, yeah. Chris? Oh, I don't know. Is this still about Catholic action? Well, we have Sacrosanct and Concilium that's all about the liturgy, but then we yeah. also have what? Apos, apostolicum actuositatem? Uh, maybe. Tell me about that. <laughs> that's the, 
the uh, so there's 16 documents to the second Vatican Council. I can't tell if you guys planned this part of it or not, <laughs> no, but I love we, it. We talked about this in a former podcast okay. too, I think. So there's 16 documents in the Second Vatican Council. There's four constitutions, and so that means the other ones are not constitutions. Mm-hmm. Non-constitutional. Got it. And, but one of them is on the apostolate of the laity. Right, in the, in the world, right? And, yeah. that's, and if you read, those, read that document, I'm not super familiar with it, but it'll probably say very similar stuff. The church does church things. People do people things. So this universal call to holiness isn't so much, well, you lowly lay people, lay trash like me, you can't be a priest. It's you are so important that you get to be holy in the world. You have a call to holiness. You're nourished by the liturgy when you participate in it properly. And then you go out to your field or your sphere of battle, which is whatever it is that you do. Well, so, and that's just a two. Your holiness, your holiness yeah. Dennis, isn't by trying to imitate the priest. Right? So you don't become holy by trying to do things that the father does right. or that the deacon does or that the bishop does. You do holy things by doing what a layperson does out in the world. I'm slightly embarrassed to say this, but I did stop at McDonald's once, and I was in the drive-thru. Just once in your entire life? <laughs> Just once. Well, I have yeah. more to be embarrassed about and than I, you. And I, you know, I ordered the thing, and then I went to the to pay at the window, and the lady was like, hello, honey, how are you doing today? And I was like, wow. And she's like, I bet she was so nice. I said, wow, you're, you're having a good day. You're like the friendliest McDonald's person I've ever met. She said, I've been saved. I got, the, I got Jesus in me. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of time to talk about our conversion story. And well, I was <laughs> picking uh, up my fries. Can I get some ketchup, please? <laughs> but you know what? To go. Her sphere, <laughs> which you think would be demeaning work, right? The drive through window at McDonald's. She turned that into this little ball of light in my mm. life. Because you she still was, remember this. She took her holiness out to the world, right? And so she could say, oh, uh, the priests, they won't let me be ordained. How come I can't be a bishop and, you know, grump about it? Or she can say, or my boss won't let me do this, be a, a burger, fry cook, or grill, work the grill. Yeah, right. So does this mean she should be, a, you know, financially and socially oppressed? No. But it does mean wherever you are, in the moment you're there, be the face of Christ for people in the place you get that capacity, that love for others is in the liturgy. So personal formation, really, really important in Catholic action. It's not just sitting around and you know, thinking, oh, participation in the laity and the blah, blah, blah of the hierarchy. So this is where the relationship between liturgy and Catholic action um, comes through, uh, comes from. So he says, only when we have, shall have formed Jesus Christ within us shall we be able to give him back to the family and to society, right? You can't give what you don't have. Yeah. And the place you get that true Christian spirit is primarily through the sacred liturgy. So that's why doing the ceremonies properly, offering yourself as a victim, understanding what you're doing, do it fully, consciously active, and then hopefully it'll be uh, fruitful. And that is the, uh, the basic logic for the foundation of Catholic action. You go to mass, you fill up your tank, but then you have to use the fuel in the tank. Otherwise, you just got the same old gas. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you're like Jesse Weiler. You got to get new gas. Same gas, different day. Jesus, comma, <laughs> new gas. So he says if you're filled with, with Christ, you know, you're going to have certain things that, um, 
that are obvious. He says you'll be loyal to the hierarchy of the church and to your pastor, right? If you're out there saying, you know, blah, 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 giving rude gestures to your neighbors, it's not that great. But if you're giving rude gestures to your pastor and your <laughs> bishop, something's wrong with you, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then the liturgy, he says, makes you mystical body conscious. We talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago. I'm body conscious. <laughs> this is your diet. Your honor. Um, he says that, you know, you have to realize that you're not the vine, but a branch, right? He says you're on the receiving end of the vine and branches. So if you cut yourself off from the vine that has the roots and all the nourishment and all the sap that's flowing, all the life-giving stuff for the plant, you're just going to wither and die. If you attach yourself to that vine, then you're going to grow. And he says when you learn to pray, then you learn to know who you're praying with, who you're praying for, and that everybody can act as uh, the mystical body. So he gets right at the head of it, or the heart of it, I suppose. Well, both, head and heart of it, both. He says... If you are a detached, silent spectator at Mass, you will be a detached and silent spectator in the, post in the apostolate of the environment of the Ooh. world. So if you're not interested in giving your heart away to God on the altar, you're probably not going to be interested in giving your heart away to your kids or your wife or the homeless person on the street. If you're a silent spectator at Mass and say, I'm going to do what I want in the rosary or nothing or read the bulletin or whatever, you're probably going to say, oh, I'm going to do whatever I want when I walk down mm. the street too. And so um, the liturgy, he says, teaches the corporateness. And without that mystical body, he says, the Christian becomes self-centered and isolated and leads to this individualism that we've talked about. Uh, yeah, we've before. been talking, this kind of fits with the last uh, few weeks that we've been talking about kind of our attitude or temperament when, it, when approaching the liturgy. And this goes beyond, this takes that and then takes it beyond the Mass. Well, exactly, right. And so, you know, we haven't talked about the social justice or social reconstruction too much yet. I mean, we did a few week, weeks ago, but now we're kind of pushing this new thing. Once you get the liturgy down, then you can say, okay, how does it change your life? He says, uh, if you learn to be a co-offerer or a co-victim with Christ mm. at Mass, so as a member of the mystical body, you offer yourself to the Father and you die uh, to your personal preferences, but then you rise again with Christ personal preferences and strengths, then you can go out into the world. And he says your own milieu, which is working with the sick and the poor and the spiritually sick. And um, he says it's no, in, no coincidence that Catholic action and the liturgical movement happen at the same time. If you are thinking you need to be strengthened to serve the world, then you have to go find out where that strength comes from and uh, vice versa. He says they are thus respectively the mystical body at prayer and sacrifice and the mystical body and action in the world. These are both things Christ did. Wow. He didn't just go to the temple and hang out all day and say, Father, mm -hmm. I offer myself to you. He did that. And he didn't rest on his laurels. He didn't rest on his laurels. And he didn't just go around feeding the poor and healing the sick, right? He fed the poor and healed the sick. And then he gave himself in sacrifice to God the Father. And so to be Christ, it means to do both of these things together, to, to sanctify the world, sanctify yourself, sanctify the world, and glorify God by doing that. That's what they called uh, Mass during the day, which is a funny thing. There was a little mm -hmm. chart that the liturgical leader, Martin Hellriegel, put out. And so he said Mass during the day was Catholicizing the world, being nice to your kid's wife, neighbor, feeding the poor, alms, all that sort of stuff. So live the Mass doesn't just mean... Sing the Gloria. I mean, sing the Gloria during the Gloria and then be the face of Christ to everybody out in the world. And that's Catholic action. I like it. Nice. I think it's really easy, especially with some of the topics that we discuss here on the podcast and some of the courses at the Liturgical Institute to kind of talk about the rubrics or like the recipe of mass and that if you do this, 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 and this, then this happens. And if you do it the right way, then you get a better result. 
when um, you know we have to think about what we do afterwards. <laughs> that if we focus too much on just that mass going experience, and you know, I go to I go to mass with my family, and then we get in the church parking lot, and then somebody cuts me off, and I yell at them. Well, okay, well, what is actually happening there? Was I really actually um, participating in the mass in a way? that it would let me uh, be active in my Catholicism afterwards. Right. And maybe you've met a person like this. I think in one of our podcasts a long time ago, we talked about when you meet that really holy person, you start to get a little nervous. Or, like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But what do they do? They inspire love in you. They pour themselves out for you. I remember we had a student here, a Nashville Dominican sister, and every day at 3 o'clock she used to come to my office with a tray with coffee and French press and cream just because she wanted to bring me coffee every day and i you know i was like you don't have to do this sister she's like, oh no i want to it's just this nice little act of service and i you know just made the world a better place is this the sister we met at the the conference was that no i don't want to embarrass you oh, okay. telling you All right. or, or embarrass her by telling her <laughs> but if if the world were full of people paying it forward so to speak you ever seen that in the toll booth where yeah. someone pays your toll mm. ahead of you yep and then you pay the toll for the person behind you and then finally some jerk breaks the chain right <laughs> says oh thanks and drives away well you know if you keep paying it forward then well it's a little thing like that so Suddenly, jesse coffee tomorrow for dennis uh three o'clock on the dot <laughs> All right. Half and half, dark roast, French press. But it's the it's the three o'clock hour, man. We okay. gotta pray, pray the uh, divine mercy. Well, we can do that too. Yeah. Okay. At three fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> After the coffee. Uh, all right, Chris. Anything intelligent to say? <laughs> nope. Thank you. And <laughs> God a, bless. Just in general, I didn't read about the topic. I mean, just say something smart. Give right? birth to an, an interesting <laughs> idea right now. <laughs> All right, I think it's time for our liturgy question. What and do you guys think? Chris will give birth to a liturgy answer. There you go. <laughs> I got to cut out all this birth talk. <laughs> so you guys know that we love the Liturgical Institute and we love everything that we do here, but you know who else loves the Liturgical Institute? Yeah, Bishop Robert Barron. And guess what he has to say about it? Well, I've known the Liturgical Institute from the very beginning. I was at Mundelein on the faculty in 2000 when it started. I knew Monsignor Mannion very well, who was the founder. Uh, Dr. McNamara, who was with him from the beginning, I've known. We've become good friends. I've spoken many times there. I've known all the faculty members. I've known many of the students. So I, I know from the ground up what the, um, the LI does. And they introduce people into the beauty of the church's intellectual tradition and liturgical tradition. And um, I don't know in the country a better place to go to get immersed precisely in that aesthetic dimension and the intellectual than the LI. So, you know, I'm a big fan. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? All right, this week we have a question from... Oh, I've got it. Oh, sorry, sorry, Jesse, keep going. Do I we, thought you were already ready. Do we have a question? We are. I've got it. We've got the answer. We it. just want to know what the question is. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. It's like what Jeopardy. It? We have the answer. What the is, question. yes. Okay. We'll take bows and genuflections for 500. <laughs> <laughs> Potent incense for 500, Alex. <laughs> I'm incensed. What's the question? The question is Jesse's from potent. Kevin and not our Kevin. Not our Kevin. Yeah, the, not better, Kevin. the better Di- Kevin. Different Kevin. Uh, Kevin says, I love the podcast. It's very informative. Thank you, Kevin. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. not our Kevin, though. <laughs> yeah, he would never say that. Uh, I am a candidate for the permanent, de- permanent diaconate for the Diocese of Joliet, and my question is about reverencing the altar or tabernacle mm-hmm. during Mass, mm-hmm. specifically when a deacon or priest goes over to read the gospel. Because our tabernacle is behind the altar, they have to go between them. I have seen some priests or deacons bow only to the altar and some bow to one and then turn and bow to the other. Which way is most proper? It would seem to me that an easy solution would be to walk in front of the altar, therefore bowing to both. Uh, what say you guys? What say you, liturgy guy number two? I agree two. with Kevin. Okay. Yeah, I, that seems to me. I love good. that you just called him liturgy guy number two. You <laughs> didn't even think about it. Well, you're number one and I'm number three. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hear that a lot and I um, tell servers that a lot, that just to keep the altar and the tabernacle in front of you, pass in front of the altar and then bow to both. Sometimes you can't do that, though. If uh, Imagine there's a significant flower arrangement in front of the altar. Perhaps you can't reach the book of the Gospels. You've got to go between. You've got to go on the other side of the altar. Uh, but I think uh, what you'll find in the germ, the general instruction of the Roman Missal. Is I have it right here. Let's most, see if you're right. Okay, is that uh, uh, when, the, when Mass starts, it's the altar that is the principal object of our attention. So if I did have to pass between, I would pick up the uh, book of the Gospels from the altar after having bowed to the altar only and then go over to the ambo. Well, it seems to me the real question is when... To what do you genuflect and when, right? So the, the, if you want the answers to this, look at uh, 274 in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, right? Why are you shaking your head at me? It yeah. says flat out, the genuflection is basically reserved for the Blessed Sacrament. So you'll see the priest do it during Mass after the confection of the Eucharist and um, certain other times. But it says, if the tabernacle with the most blessed sacrament is present in the sanctuary, the priest, the deacon, and the other ministers genuflect when they approach the altar and when they depart from it, but not during the celebration mm. of Mass itself. Right, so you come in, genuflect, then until you leave and genuflect again, basically you don't genuflect again to the um, blessed sacraments, but you do bow to the altar, whichever side of it. But you seems most. But you but, never bow to the tabernacle. Generally not. No. Oh, I didn't know that. It says otherwise, all who pass before the most blessed sacrament genuflect unless they're moving in a, p- a procession. So, for the most part, when is that a procession going to the to the lectern? It is. It's a gospel procession. Okay. Right. And it says ministers carrying the processional cross or candles bow their heads instead of genuflecting. Okay. So basically the rule is you, you reverence the Blessed Sacrament, but it can become kind of unwieldy every time you walk past it to genuflect again. You see that in the extraordinary form. And the, they're up and down a lot carrying the books and everything. Um, so in the, in the revised rite, the simplified rite, genuflect on the way in, genuflect on the way out, bow to the altar. Otherwise, no matter which side of the altar you're actually on. But since we're talking about bowing, this is one of my favorite things that people never do, which is the general instruction says the bow of the head is made when the three divine persons are named or when the names of Jesus, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and the saint of the day are mentioned. So Hmm. people want liturgical richness of expression. Every time the name Jesus is mentioned in the mass, bow of the head. Every time the saint celebrated that day, bow of the head. Or the three persons of the Trinity. Yep. That's awesome. Yep, absolutely. Notice you weren't doing that, Jesse. No, <laughs> I didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah, so if it's St. Patrick's Day, every time the word Patrick is mentioned, bow the head. What if it's your um, the name of your parish, the, the patron of your parish? Well, it's the saint of the day, not the saint of the okay. place. Right. So, so genuflecting, reserved for the Blessed Sacrament, bowing for other things. Huh. And and when we've talked about this before, but when the, when the Mass begins, the altar is Christ. So wouldn't that be... 
where the reverence is directed. Yeah. The altar always is Christ, but it, the the focus at, in the mass after the first genuflection is the, is altar, the altar and the action at the altar. Yep. Okay, Kevin. Future Deacon Kevin, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at liturgyguys.com or tweet us. Tweet, tweet. Tweet, li, li, li. You can tweet us at liturgyguys. Did you know that, Chris? I don't even know what tweeting is. Oh, great. Wow. Tweet, Gen, Gen Xers. Tweet questions just to Chris about like how he can live his life because it's pretty weird. <laughs> All right. Thank you and God bless. God bless. You guys know me so well. We do. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.